Uh, well, good morning. <laughs> Yeah, excited to be here this morning. Uh, we are coming at you again live through the month of July, uh, moving through our Outsider series. And as Jeff did say, it is my birthday today. Um, so, and not just metaphorically, you know? So, uh, <laughs> great to be here. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Luke 18. Uh, that's where we're going to be uh, this morning. And so, it is my birthday. Excited to be here. Uh, I am 31. Uh, my hairline is 54. So, there you have it. Uh, but as you turn there, hey, let me, let me pray for us uh, one more time before we jump into our passages this morning. Uh, Father, just thank you. Thank you that we have a reason to meet. Thank you that you know the situations of every single person in this room. You know their hearts, you know their struggles, you know their pains, you know their joys. And yet, God, the answer for every single one of us in here is you. It's you. So I'd like to invite you now to pray for yourself and really just pray this question to God. God, what in my life do I value more than you? What in my life do I value more than you or I, I'm tempted to value more than you? Well, Lord, I know for me it can be my comfort. It can be my performance. It can be what other people think of me. So, Father, I just pray for myself and for everyone in here that before we get going this morning, we would just lay that down before you. And so, Lord, we love you. Be with us this morning. You do what you want. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, well, I got some bad news in the mail a few weeks back from an old friend of mine. I've known him for years. Um, and he sent out this little postcard to close friends and families just basically telling uh, us that he didn't have a lot of time to live. Uh, in fact, at this point, he only has about three months. Uh, actually, just a few months. Uh, on December 28th, just a few days after Christmas, my buddy will be dead. He's getting married that day. I know, it's tragic. It's tragic. Because everyone in here knows that your wedding day is also your funeral, all right? The single part of yourself dies on the altar before God and everyone else. The single you is no more. It is dead. Amen. Because you got to die now to yourself every single day. Die to how do you spend your time, how you spend your energy, how you spend your money. As you unite yourself to another person till death do you part, you are committing yourself to dying every single day. So ladies, I'm sure your wedding day was beautiful. All right. I'm sure you look beautiful. I'm sure your hair looked beautiful. I'm sure the dress looked beautiful. I'm sure that as you walked down the aisle, like birds and butterflies just kind of chirped along you. I'm sure it was beautiful. But it did not take you long before you realized you married a dude. All right, you married a man. And men are smelly. Men are hairy. Men snore. Men make noises when they stand up and sit down that only belong in a zoo, right? Men don't get you about 95% of the time, and that's on our good days, right? So I don't know what you dreamed about, about your wedding day, but it did not take you long to realize that you married a man, all right? And you have to die to yourself about how you spend your time and energy and money and all these different things till death do you part. 
Men, I don't know how you dreamed uh, married life would be, uh, but you found out real quickly things changed when you got married. Uh, your schedule changed, right? Uh, and not just what you do in your free time, but rather the mere fact that you can get to anywhere on time anymore, right? You used to be able to wake up, get dressed, and leave. Not anymore. Because you have to wait an enormous amount of time to leave for anything. And so you'll be ready to go, and then you'll hear that dreaded, hey, it's just going to be five minutes. I'm just getting ready. It's just five minutes. It's just five minutes. Let's be honest, ladies. That's called a lie, okay? (laughs) It's just a lie. Just own it. Just own it but you can't leave when you want to leave now. And not only that, your friendship groups radically changed. You used to be friends with people that you knew and enjoyed and got along with. Now you're just friends with whoever your wife's friends with husband, you know? Like your best friend is a guy you don't even like, but it's just friend by proximity and marriage. You married into his friendship. And not only that, What you do with your friends radically changes. Your priorities changes. Once upon a time, you could be hanging out with your friends and then all go, hey, let's go watch the game. Let's go hang out. Let's do stuff together. And you go, great. And you could go and do that. Not anymore. Because what you got to do now is this. Everyone's going to be going, going to go play games, going to go hang out, watch the game. You go, oh man, that sounds great. One second. Hey, babe, um, is it cool if me and the boys uh, go and uh, watch the game at, at, at Tim's house? No. Okay, okay, I'll meet you at Bed Bath & Beyond. Okay, I love you, babe. (laughs) Sorry, I gotta go, I gotta go. Shopping. Your friendship changes. Your free time changes. You used to be able to come home after a long day and just kind of zone out to the world, not anymore. Because when you come home from a long day, you gotta debrief the day that you just lived to your wife. And when you listen to her, you can't just be looking at the TV, you gotta listen, not just with your ears, you gotta listen with your face, right? You gotta be attuned to her because she wants to know details about your day and a whopping it was good isn't gonna cut it. She wants to know details about that day that you just lived and the details about those details and then further details about those details, including how you felt about those details that you just explained within the details context. And then she wants to know, she wants you to ask her details about her day. And you have to say things like, man, that wouldn't make me feel that way. Or, uh, man, I can't believe she said that. Or, man, how did you feel about that feeling that you just expressed with the feelings that you felt? You're going to be attuned to her. You're going to be attuned to what she's saying. And as she is relaying a very simple detail about her day, she's going to start crying. And you're not going to know why. And then you're going to do the dumbest possible thing you can do in that moment, gentlemen. You're going to try to fix her with your talking. And that has never worked. Like in the history of marriage, it has never worked. So stop trying it. Listen, engage, nod. That's what you're there for. That's the purpose of your existence in that moment. And so as she starts to cry, you're gonna try to fix her. And then if she's just gonna start crying more, then you have to tell yourself in that moment that you gotta draw that circle around yourself and somehow own your percentage of things that you now messed up with her, even though you're like, okay, I think she's like 95% of the fault, but I'm gonna own 100% of my 5%. I gotta do it first because I wanna be the initiator in this relationship. And you're reminding yourself that entire time that you committed to this mess and that you have committed to die to yourself every moment of every day for the rest of your life until you die. And that's marriage. (laughs) 
so why are people getting married? Why is anyone trying to stop my friend? Well, because we've seen the way she looks at her. We've seen the way he looks at her. We've seen the way that he spends time with her. And it's the same way that I look at my wife. And it's the same way, gentlemen, I hope you look at your wife. That if I was to stack all these different things up about what marriage is when you really get into it, he would look at all that. And then he would look at her. And he would say, she is worth it. She's better. For better or worse, whatever I have to give up, whatever I have to do, however much my life changes after this moment, December 28th, I'm saying yes. Why? Because I want her. I want her. And so the truth is, as we come into a relationship with Christ, it's really no different. We come into this relationship with Christ and there's certain things about our, this new relationship that we found that has to change. There's certain things that we do that we never thought we would do. There's certain things that we now don't do that we always thought were gonna be a part of our lives. There's relationships that begin to shift and change. And yet if we were to stack everything up of all the things that we would have to give up in order to follow Jesus, if we were to truly see Jesus rightly, all of us would say the same thing. He's worth it. He's worth it. For better or worse, whatever I have to give up, I want him and him alone. And yet the tragedy is, is that many of us, if we're honest in here, we don't see Jesus as more valuable. We don't see Jesus as worth it. We don't see Jesus as the most important thing of our lives. And maybe once upon a time we did, but over time we begin to replace him with all these different counterfeits. And so we go to things like our job and our money and our possessions and what other people think of us and where we are on the hierarchy level of our work or what other people think of our kids or whether or not our kids are succeeding in the way that we've kind of predetermined what our kids should succeed in. And we start to make these trade-offs in our lives. We trade Christ for our comfort. We trade Jesus for things that are ultimately gonna end up in a junkyard. We trade our true treasure for some trinkets that we can buy on Amazon Prime Day. We've made this horrible trade-off. And then we wonder why we're stressed, why we're anxious, why we're afraid that we're gonna lose everything we have, even though we have more than we've ever had in our lives. And so we go to the, the world and we drink salt water and we wonder why we're still thirsty. And so this morning, all I wanna do is to realign our hearts back to seeing Jesus for who he truly is because when we see Jesus for who he truly is, we'll be able to love others rightly. And so this morning, we're gonna be talking about Jesus as our true treasure. In order to do that, we're gonna be in Luke 18 in a very familiar passage of scripture for those that have been around church for a while about the rich, young ruler. And this is a part of our series over the outsiders about how do we engage with those that are outside of the people of God? How do we engage with those that don't look like us, don't believe like we do? And the unique part about this individual that we're gonna see is that he actually looks a lot like us. He looks a lot like us. He's got everything going on and he's got everything that we really want. And so as we move through this passage, we're gonna see Jesus for who he truly is, our true treasure. And we're gonna spend the bulk of our time really looking at him and seeing him. And we're gonna see him as our prize. We're gonna see him as our provider and we're gonna see him as our payment.
And when we see Jesus for these three things, who he truly is, when we see Jesus truly, we'll be able to love outsiders fully. So that's what we're doing. So let's jump right in. First up, we're gonna see Jesus as our true treasure because Jesus is our prize. He is what our hearts long for. He is the thing by which we were made to enjoy and to live life with and to have life and life to the fullest. And so let's pick up in verse 18. It says this. It says a ruler, okay, let's pause. Okay, so we find out from other gospels that this ruler, this ruler was rich and he was young. And so he's got, another way to say it is he's got power, he's got possessions, and he's in the prime spot of his life. He's got power, possessions in the prime spot of his life. This man that's talking to Jesus, this ruler that's approaching Jesus has what we all want. He is the personification of the American dream. He's got everything that we desperately want. We want power, we want possessions, and we wanna be in the prime sweet spot of life, however we define that. And so think about any commercial you can think of. What do they offer? It's power, it's possessions. It's how to get that right spot in life, that prime area. And if you just get this or get this or buy this or purchase this, if you have all this stuff, then you'll have what your heart wants. This guy has everything we want. And to be honest with you, one of the reasons why we don't love people like this is because we wanna be people like this. So he's living in North Dallas, got a nice house, nice car, 2.5 well-behaved kids. And on the outside, he has everything the world can offer. But on the inside, we're about to see he's delusional, he's depressed, and he's depraved because he doesn't have his prize. He doesn't have Jesus. Where do I get that? It's whenever he opens his mouth. Says in verse 18, the ruler came up, had everything going on with him, had everything that we want, we desire. And it says this in verse 18, it says, good teacher, he's talking to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your mother and father. Notice he leaves out, don't covet. Don't desire things in replace of me. But the rich young ruler says this, he says, all of I've kept from my youth, which is a lie. But when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, one thing. And then Jesus says two things. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then you come, you follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. So this man has everything the world has to offer. He's got power, he's got possessions, he's in the prime spot of his life. He's got everything that we really want, but notice he's delusional. He's delusional. He's delusional about God. When he sees Jesus, he doesn't see Jesus as deity. He sees him as a good teacher, an elevated version of himself. He just goes, okay, Jesus, you're a good teacher. He doesn't see Jesus as deity. He's delusional about God and who Jesus is. But he's also delusional about himself that he looks at himself and goes, okay, there's gotta be something I can do in order to get eternal life. There's gotta be something I can give or, or earn or, 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 or possess that would get me to a level of Jesus. And so he thinks too highly of himself and he thinks too lowly of Jesus. He's delusional. 
Because that's what power, that's what possessions, that's where striving after that prime spot of life does to us. It makes us think too highly of ourselves and too lowly of Jesus. He is delusional, but he's not just delusional, he's depressed. Do you get it? Do you see it? When he comes to Jesus, he's depressed because he knows that all of his possessions will one day end up in a junkyard. And yet he knows that none of this stuff will get him what he really needs, which is eternal life. And so he's sad coming to Jesus saying, hey, what do I need to do? I don't have what I ultimately need. But did you notice as well, he's sad leaving. He's sad leaving Jesus. He's depressed leaving Jesus because though everything he had wasn't getting him what he really needed, he didn't wanna give up what he had to get what he really needed. So it says he leaves sad, he's depressed. But he's not just depressed, he's depraved. Because the end of this story is him just simply leaving Jesus. Him just leaving Jesus. You see the problem with possessions, the problem with power, the problem with us striving for this prime spot in our life, whatever we define that to be, is it creates a counterfeit Christ. These things create counterfeits of the real thing, which is Jesus. Most of these things aren't bad, but they leave us with a watered down version of the real thing. And so we go to our home to give us protection. We go to money to give us provision. We go to a job to give us purpose, but they're counterfeits. They're not the real thing. And when we put them in the position of ultimate, it only leaves us delusional, depressed, depraved. We go to these things thinking that we'll have life, but it ends up robbing our life from us. So Johnny Cash, the man in black, he had everything the world had to offer. He had power, he had possessions, and he was the prime spot of his career. Everyone wanted to be him, and yet all this led him to was trying to overdose on some pills so that he could commit suicide. Because he had everything the world had to offer and everything wasn't the answer. Jim Carrey, at the height of his career, after Dumb and Dumber and Dumb and Dumber 2 and Ace Ventura and Ace Ventura 2 and all those wonderful classic movies, he said this, he said, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they would see it's not the answer. Or like the great historically accurate documentary of our time, The Greatest Showman taught, taught us all the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough, will never be enough. Towers of gold, they're just too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough. Never be enough for me, for me. And that little home wrecker went straight into depravity, right? Because it wasn't enough. She even sang about it. So the reality of it is we know this. We know this is true. I had dozens of illustrations played out just in this moment alone because this is the declaration of anyone who gets everything they've ever wanted. They say it's not enough. This pursuit has been tried and found wanting and the tragedy is we still wanna try it. We still think the next level and the next level and the bigger bank account, the more this and the more that and more stuff will fill our hearts. And the reality of it is, is they don't because they were never meant to. Do 
And so all of us have counterfeits that we run to. All of us have things that we trade our true prize of Jesus for as we drift towards and run towards these other counterfeits. So what is it for you? So we all have them. So let me ask you this another way. What do you daydream about? Where does your mind naturally go when it's left unchecked? What do you do with uninterrupted time? When you have a free night, a free evening, however frequent or however rare that is, what do you do with that time? What do you spend money on without even thinking about it? Without even thinking about what your budget is or anything like that, what do you just spend money on without even thinking? What do you guard above everything else? You just found your counterfeit. You just found what your heart really prizes. But your heart was made for a better prize. Your heart was made for a better prize. So C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition and put your counterfeit in that quote. We fool around with these things when infinite joy is offered to us. Like ignorant children who want to go on making mud pies in the slum because we cannot imagine what it's meant by the offer as a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. We end up playing in the mud of this life, thinking that there's life found here where there's an ocean of God waiting for us to swim in. It's infinite joy. That Jesus doesn't lead us to delusion or depression or depravity, he leads us to the light because he is our prize. He is our prize. And so Jesus is calling us here to do what he's calling the rich young ruler to do in verse 22. He says, hey, there's one thing that you need to do. Leave your counterfeit and follow your Christ. Leave your counterfeit, follow your Christ. Or as Jim Elliott said, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. So years ago, I was the rich young ruler. I was fresh out of college um, and I had my dream job. Uh, I had my dream job, I had a house. I never thought I could get into a house that early, a house I didn't think I could afford, but we had no debt and or income coming in, disposable income. And on paper, my life looked amazing. And I was absolutely miserable. I had a relationship with Jesus. But what started to happen is I started to pursue things to try to give me what I knew Jesus had called me to run to him for. And so I started to turn to my job and my performance and and what other people thought of me and my boss and all these different things to give me what I knew God was gonna, what only God could really give me. And so what what happened is over years of doing that, my time with Jesus became mechanical. It became forced. I would go to Jesus with my list of my demands and no dependency. And all that did was lead me into depravity, depression, delusion. So much so that a guy that was investing in me at that time said, hey, you're so close to a mental breakdown right now that you're just a few steps away. That I went through a hard season of burnout bordering on a mental breakdown. That's what that gave me. I tried 
to find life where it couldn't be found. And I forgot about the one thing that mattered most, which was following him, following him. And so I had to give up my job. I had to move out of our house and move into a 48 square foot apartment. <laughs> I felt that way. We have two big dogs and they um, are territorial. And so, um, but had to move out, had to give up. Took a uh, crazy pay cut. Um, I used to tell people that I'm making a humorous amount of money and I didn't mean that in a good way. But I had to give up everything that I thought was giving me life only to find out that those things were actually taking it from me. And over the last couple of years, my wife can attest to this, that because of this day by day, truly following Jesus, truly seeing him as my prize and my treasure, I've had more joy, I've had more comfort and more peace. I've had more love for other people. I've had more love for outsiders, people that don't look like me. And I've had more, and this is what surprised me, I had more laughter in our household. I used to cry every day, and now I really only cry when I'm laughing so hard. And it's all because of my prize, my God, my king, my hope, my joy, my, my savior, my friend, my father, the one who's always there for me, my comforter, my guide, my king, my Jesus, my prize. And so Jesus is our treasure because Jesus is our prize. But he's not just our prize, he's our provider. He's our provider. He's a provider for the outsider and he's a provider for the insider. He's a provider for the outsider. If you read in Luke 18, 24, he says it this way, that he's gonna provide for the outsider, that Jesus, seeing that he, the rich young ruler, became sad, said how difficult it is for those with wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, then who can be saved? They had this false theology that if someone had more power and possessions, then that God somehow liked them more. And Jesus says to them, hey, it's impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible for someone to be saved. All their power, all their possessions, everything that they have, they bring everything to the altar of God. It all equates to one thing, an impossibility for someone to be saved. But with man, it's impossible. But with God, everything's possible. Everything's possible. And so you can gather all your possessions, all your provision, everything in your life, and you bring it before the altar of God. And as Isaiah says, all of our righteous deeds look like filthy rags before him. And so Jesus is proclaiming, hey, the provider for your life, the provider for your deepest need of rescue and salvation is not your stuff. It's not your junk, it's your Jesus. And when you see him rightly, he brings you from outside to in. And then when you're on the inside, he continues to provide for you. That's why the passage keeps saying in verse 28, see, we have left house and home. Or, or Peter said this in verse 28, he said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. Peter's doing what Peter does. He speaks first and thinks later. He said, hey, Jesus, hey, remember what you just told that guy to do? Hey, we're doing that. He's playing the victim card. 
And Jesus looks past that and says, I say to you, truly, I say to you, I'm the provider. There's no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this life and in the age to come eternal life. There's no victims in the kingdom of God. There's no victims because Jesus takes care of us. He is our provider. He's our provider for our deepest needs as we begin to realize that all we really need is him, It's him. So I had to learn this uh, or kind of be retaught it again this past year or so. Uh, I graduated uh, from DTS a couple years back, graduated from our institute program here at Watermark. And so um, I was used to getting paid in like food stamps and hugs uh, to getting paid what I now would consider a normal uh, human salary. And, um, and so I started daydreaming about all these different things I could kind of purchase with this new found money. And the reality of it was I started kind of moving in this direction of, oh, I can get this and I can get this and I can get all these different things. But what's funny is God had different plans. Uh, because in 2017, my wife and I entered into what we now lovingly refer to as the 10 plagues of 2017. Because in 2017, 10 things slammed into the Matthews household. And so I'll read them off for you because I had to write them down because there were so many. So let me read them off. Number one, we had foundation issues. Welcome to North Texas. We had a fly infestation, rat infestation, fleas on our dogs. We are clean people, okay? The people before us were not. Um, We had a gas leak. We had a small fire in our kitchen. Luckily, those two were not related. Um, We had a flood from a busted pipe. We had hail. We're getting biblical now. We had hail destroying one of our roofs. One of our roofs, we got many. We got one roof destroying our roof and one of our cars. Uh, The other car broke down the same week, leading it to be totaled. And then to cap all of that off, both of our dogs, our firstborns, were hit by the same car on the same day. Now they lived, but they owe me. like thousands of dollars so they can continue pooping and peeing all over the place. So now let me be clear. There were tears, there were fears, there was frustrations. There was moments that that my, my flesh wanted to kind of go to God and go, hey God, didn't we just leave everything to follow you? But the reality of it was those problems, those plagues did not mark my 2017. God's provision did. As he continuously reminded us that he will provide all that we need when we realize that all that we need is him. And it was amazing to see how he would provide for us. He provided for us spiritually as he kept bringing us closer into him. He provided us emotionally as he gathered community around us to speak truth into our lives. He provided us financially as he once again brought community around us and friends and family that would chip in to cover some of the costs that we literally could not afford to keep our dogs alive. He continuously to provide for us. Why? Because he is the provider. And so maybe you're in a season right now in which you just go, man, there's so many things in my life that I just feel like I'm getting hit with my own problems, my own plagues. And it's so tempting in those moments to play the victim card or to turn to other things for provision, or if we're honest, to begin to ignore people around us that are in pain. Because we're so fixated 
on our own problems. So the question for you is, what would it look like if instead of being fixated on your problems and ignoring your provision, you were so fixated on your provision that your problems seemed a lot smaller? What would it look like if you were so focused on your provision that not only does your problems look in the right place, but it frees you to actually love others and love outsiders that are in pain because they begin to see you who are going through the gambit right now. And yet you're not complaining and grumbling and I can't believe this and this and that, but rather you're celebrating the fact that you have a God that's gonna provide for you. And so your back might be at the Red Sea with mountains over you, with people bearing down at you, but you know that God can split those waters and he will because he is our provider. Jesus is our true treasure because Jesus is our provider. Lastly, Jesus is our true treasure because he's our payment. He's our payment. In verse 31, Jesus says it this way. And taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he, Jesus, will be delivered over to the Gentiles and he'll be mocked and shamefully treated and sped upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. But on the third day, he'll rise again. In the following verse, it says that his followers didn't really understand what Jesus was talking about here. But what Jesus was saying is that he is the true rich young ruler. That he is the true rich young ruler. He had the riches of heaven. He ruled all things. And at a young age where the rich young ruler held everything back and didn't love people, Jesus gave everything he had to give us what we truly need, which was our payment for our sin. Jesus lived a life that we cannot. He died a death that we deserved. And on the cross, he paid what we owed. And when he rose from the grave, it was proof that the check cleared. He is our payment. He is our prize. He is our provider. Jesus was rich, but became poor so that we who are poor might become rich in him because he's our provider. And so the reality of it is all of us have different things in our life that kind of get in the way of us seeing Jesus rightly. And the reality of it is, is as we don't see Jesus rightly, we don't love him rightly, we don't love others rightly, we don't see ourselves rightly, and we don't love others, outsiders, the way that God wants us to love those people. And so if that's true of us, that all of us have things in our life that block us from truly seeing Jesus rightly as our prize, as our provider, as our payment, then how do we see Jesus for who he really is? How do we get rid of the counterfeits in our lives that so easily want us, to, want us to believe that they can provide for us what only Jesus really can? How do we rid our lives of these things? If you do it the same way that Romeo got rid of Rosalind. Y'all remember Romeo and Rosalind? Probably not. You remember Romeo and Juliet. But at the beginning of Romeo and Juliet, what do you see? You see Romeo hung up on this girl named Rosalind. And he thought that Rosalind was so beautiful that she reminded him of the moon. And when it turned out that he couldn't be with Rosalind, he went and barricaded himself in a room, isolated, and just put up th- stuff on his walls, uh, blocked out the windows because any form of light said, he said it was gonna remind him of the beauty that was Rosalind. 
And so his friends do what I think good friends do in that moment. They went, grabbed him, and brought him to a party to forget about Rosalind. And it was at that party that Romeo sees Juliet. And he forgets about Rosalind. And after the party, he finds out where she lives and breaks into her backyard and looks at her through a bush, which I'm not recommending, um, but that's Shakespeare. And when he looks up, Romeo, who just said, hey, Rosalind reminds me of the moonlight. He sees Juliet. And remember what he says? What's soft? What light through yonder window breaks? It's the east. And Juliet is the sun. Arise, fair sun, and kill thy envious moon that is already weak and pale for you are more fair than she is. How do you remove the counterfeits in your life? You replace it by the real thing. These things are good, they're beautiful, and yet when we see the sunrise that is Jesus, the things of this world will grow strangely dim at the light of his glory and grace. And when you see him truly, it frees you to love others and to love outsiders fully. When you see Jesus truly, it'll free you to love outsiders fully. Because the truth is we don't love outsiders because we don't see Jesus for who he really is. And so when we see people that don't look like us, we either ignore them or we wanna use them to get us what our hearts really long for. We wanna use them to get our prize, our provision, our payment, and we end up not loving them. But when we see Jesus as our true treasure, when we see him truly, it allows us to love other people fully, to love the outsider the way that God intends us to. You see, one of the beautiful parts of this passage actually isn't found in Luke, it's found in the Gospel of Mark. When Jesus looks at this individual, this guy that has everything going on, it says that Jesus looked at him and he had this one emotion well up inside of him. And it wasn't anger, it wasn't frustration, it wasn't envy, like man, that guy's got some sweet camels. It's one thing, it's love love. It says Jesus looked at him and he loved him. So if we are called to emulate Jesus to the outsiders, then what does love look like? Three things and we'll close. First, as you see this passage, love looks past the facade. Love looks past the facade. This guy had everything going for him. Power, possessions, prime of life. Even Jesus' disciples thought that this guy was better off. But Jesus looks past the facade and he sees this scared little kid that just desperately wants somebody to tell him that he's loved and he's cared for. He looks past the facade. There's so many people in your life that have everything that you think the world has to offer. They have power, they have possessions, they're in that prime spot of life. And you look past that facade you discipline yourself that when you see people just go, God, is there anything else here that I'm missing? You hear their words, you hear their heart, you look past the facade.
Secondly, love leans in. Love leans in. When Jesus sees this hurt little kid give a kind of a watered down answer, yeah, I've already kind of done all of that, Jesus. He leans in. He leans in. And he points out the counterfeits in his life so that he can see who Jesus really is. So in community, are you leaning in when people are giving you your watered down answers? When there's hard situations, are you leaning in? When there's people that are celebrating their counterfeit Christ in your life, are you leaning in? Because love leans in. Lastly, love lays down. Love lays down. Love lays down its life. Jesus knew that the only thing that would be the provision that this man needed was for him to lay down his life. And so we now lay down our life. We lay down our time. We lay down our commitments. We lay down those interruptible moments throughout the day that we just get frustrated because that guy just kind of came in and now wants my attention. We lay down our time so that we can share with others the man who laid down his life. So last story. Um, I was a youth pastor before I came here and I would go on these summer camps and there was this one summer camp specifically that I was remembering um, and thinking about this message in this moment and there was this kid there uh, that man, he was popular, he was well-liked, he was always the center of attention. Like every time I looked around, like he was the guy in the middle of every conversation and all the conversation was kind of pointing at him. I mean, he was like the, the Zach Morris, you know, of camp. So that might've dated me a little bit, but I don't care. Um, and the reality of it is like he was the guy that everyone wanted and he was a guy that I was like, man, I'm 10 years older than him, but I kind of want to be his friend. Like he was that guy. Last night a camp rolls around. We're all about to go off to this party. It's a hoedown or something. I'm dressed like a cowboy um, for the children. Um, but I see this kid and he's not in the center of attention anymore. He's off by himself and he's sitting alone. So I go over and I just, just sit next to him. And in that moment, his facade just fell off. He started telling me about the fact that his dad had left him and his mom and that he really didn't believe anyone really loved him and that he puts on this mask because he's so afraid that if people really knew all the hurt in his life that they wouldn't love him back. So everything he's been doing, all the jokes, every part of his facade is simply that. It's a mask. What's hiding what's really underneath. And by God's grace, I got to be there. I got to look past that facade. I got to lean in with truth. And I got to tell him about the one that laid down his life. Because that one loved him. And that little boy's facade fell off as the love of God flooded in. When Jesus came, he proclaimed that he is the true treasure. He is our prize, he is our provider, he's our payment. And when we see him truly, we can love others fully. There's so many people around you that have a facade on. They're at your work, they're at your kid's soccer practice, they're in your family. And we're called to love them. So who in your life has everything but the one thing that matters most.
Do you love them? Then look past the facade. Do you love them? Then lean in. Do you love them? Then lay down some of your time so you can tell them about the one that laid down his life because he's worth it. Let me pray for us. Father, it, it is only when we see you truly and see Jesus truly that we can love others fully. So Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, because we are blind unless you give us eyes to see. So Lord, give us eyes to see the beauty and the joy and the life that is Jesus and that Jesus offers. Rid our hearts of our own Rosalinds and show us the Juliet that is Jesus, the sunrise that is him, the grace and the kindness that is him. And then, Father, as we see people around us, let's look past that facade. It's so easy to just look at that and even want it. But help us, God, to lean in. Lean in with truth, lean in with the gospel. And that we might lay down who we are to proclaim the one that laid down his life.